This is for the nerds. This is for the brainiacs. This is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it, man. I know what I know. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 29 of the Solve for Why vlogcast. We're back, baby. Four week hiatus. My apologies for that. We were busy grinding it out in the lab every fucking day here on the Polka Negrano Challenge. I couldn't breathe. I've never watched so much Heads Up Poker before in my life. This week, we're joined by a very special guest to talk about all things Heads Up as he has the Twitterverse on fire. The child of the sim himself, the one and only Mr. Landon Tice. Hello. How are we? Hello. We are great. <laughs> you look like you're dressed to go snowboard. That's where you were. That is where I was. Uh, I highly suggest that you join me one of these times. You have the look. Mm, we'll, just sure. say, we'll just say that much. I'm sure. Uh, you've never been? Not yet. Skiing? Nope. No snow activity? Nope. Have you ever seen snow? Not actively falling. Have you ever been in snow? Yes. Have you touched snow? I hope so. <laughs> first of all, I'm, I'm holding you to that. We need to go. This is my first experience ever. I'm 39, and if I can learn to snowboard at 39, you'll be just fine at 29. 39, wow. That's right. I'm an old man. A uh, old-timey reg, as yeah. you would say. As uh, we have said. As we <laughs> Uh, nickname I hope doesn't follow me around anywhere um, okay so obviously you're not just here because Christian can't be found and you're not just here because uh, you're my friend you're also here because you are a very very relevant topic this week that's so I believe you were number one trending on the Hendon mob wow if, with that uh, face that uh, I saw it actually yeah. I actually just checked it because I think I was looking at some some bullshit or whatever and I saw it I was there and I was like, oh, it's a nice uh, faceless person. Yeah. yeah. I saw yeah. my name there and I was like, wow. Well, you, you should have a picture. You did win a tournament. I did. Maybe I'll mail in a picture for you. You know, just send them a Snowboarding. Little... <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me get my Photoshop skills together. You're pretty good at that, huh? Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk. A, well, actually, before I dig into that, let's talk a little bit about the Daniel Doug challenge wrapping. Of course. Um, because, you know, you had a hand in doing some commentary for that. You're preparing for your own challenge yourself. And I think it's a good jumping off point as far as, like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> what is going on, by the way? So, uh, so Daniel and Doug wrapped their 25K hand challenge. Uh, Doug had a really strong push at the end to end up winning $1.2 Yeah, he was actually up a bunch and then started a limping strat because Daniel had that one session where I think he won around eight buy-ins, right? Uh, you want like 320k back more 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 it, was, more. it wow. was like just shy of 400 wow yeah and then he was like wait a minute i guess uh we got to put that truck forward a little bit before we could back it up again sure <laughs> um yeah so i guess it's been a long time since we've been on air so yeah there was a big scandal with not scandal but there was a big stoppage of play uh where doug implemented a limping strategy daniel obviously played the minimum amount of hands that day cut it at two hours came back the next session still seemingly not all that comfortable defending against the limp right uh and he later went on to say that you know it complicates things a lot you have to you don't just have automatic preflop decisions anymore right right you now have to split your range between hands that raise small and hands that raise large you have to split your range between hands that check and then the ones that raise as well um right and you know obviously it throws his three betting range a little bit out of whack and you know just a lot of chaos had been created so Daniel implemented a tanking strategy. Yeah, the, the kerfuffle begins. Sure. Uh, what, what was your opinion as far as like, 
you know, does this fall into the realm of gamesmanship? Is this uh, a little... I believe Doug referred to it as... Uh, what, what, what exactly did he say? I'm assuming it was borderline childish is the way he sort of looked at it. Yeah, I mean, he was basically saying something along the lines of, like, it wasn't in the spirit of the game. Right. Uh, which, Where limping is part of a strategy, tanking for... Like, intentionally tanking to lower the amount of hands played to get through the day yeah. is not in the spirit of the bet so Why? to speak well that's the way he saw it but do you agree i guess i think that there's times when tanking is necessary in the sense of having river decisions or having flops and turns but if you know that your hand's gonna pure check like let's say he limps and you have a hand that's going to be a clear check and then tanking for 20 minutes in order to do that 20 seconds but yeah. 20 seconds felt like forever <laughs> doing commentary on it i was losing my mind i go no no i can't do this can't take it i can't do this for two hours but i was of the other other opinion okay where i actually think that it very much falls into the realm of gamesmanship he's already a dog he's already in a situation where uh you know polk is on the verge of stepping on his throat he finally got some positive momentum going in his favor and polk very quickly throws another curveball at him right so Daniel's not really being compensated by much of anything other than the rules that can play into his favor. And the time limit is one of them. Right. One that I don't think he took enough advantage of throughout the course of the entire match. As in using more of his time? Yeah, I think the first five to 10,000 hands, whenever he was very new and his strategy was really raw, he probably not only should have only been playing the minimum two hours, but he probably should have been utilized. Out to yeah, utilize your time bank a little bit more. Work in a limping strategy yourself, right? Like... Uh, I, I just think there's a lot of things on the early portion of the match that he could have done to maybe ever so slightly lessen the learning curve. And, you know, if we look at the duration of the entire match, he really got crushed in the first half of it, let's say. Yeah. Um, the first 12, five hands or so. So I thought that this was a means of him kind of taking the reins back. Now, I know he kind of is like saying like he did it as a troll. Uh, and it, it well, was... I guess that's the point, right? Is I guess if he said that he had a strategic reason as doing so, mm -hmm. then maybe there's a difference. But then if you're saying like, "Well, I did it to kind of be a troll," that's different than yeah. He kind of he kind of went back and forth. He said both things, right? He said like he had to look over multiple range charts now instead of just one, right? And that took a lot of time. But also he was like tanking on his button, right? So clearly it was either to tilt Doug, or it was just to ensure that they played as few hands as possible until he figured out the limping strategy. Um, and I it, guess Galfon sort of decided that it wasn't against, like it was against the spirit of the bet. No, oh, no. So Galfon said, I don't want to rule on this mid-match. Uh, Daniel, just play fast on your button. Right. And then you can take your time elsewhere and okay. we'll make a decision in between. And throughout that, Doug just basically made the decision of like, this isn't worth the small amount of EV I'm making by having a limping strategy. I'll just go back to raising. Oh, wow. Okay. So the match just kind of like corrected course. Wow. Uh, on its own, which I think is great, right? Like the the fact that like I I don't want to reduce them down to like petulant children, but that's kind of what this ultimately boils down to, right? It's like both of them got so in the weeds with the strategy that they're just doing like little things, like flicking each other on the nose. As a petulant child myself, I understand where they're coming from. Sure, okay? sure, right. So it got like very tic tacky, and you know they kind of ran the mom and Phil's like, listen, you two work it out. And we'll talk about this after the match is over. Right. And they both just kind of came to a reasonable conclusion of like, okay, let's play fast and I won't limp anymore. It's a compromise, if you will. Yeah. It's nice to see two 
old some peace in the village so two old timey friends just uh chopping it up just hug it out having a good time exchange seven figures and you know call it a day yeah and then you'll have your time out after yeah but right now you think about what you've done so what do you think of the the final results in what sense uh in the sense of like do you think that it was pretty reflective of each player's win rate do you think that um you know I, i know luck was spoken about and beaten to death for a long period of time like, i heard one of them was just very lucky very lucky and the other one very unlucky as those two things tend to complement one another the um, beefiness for one side was bigger than the other if if you will uh there was some sausage in hand yes uh do you think that twenty-five thousand hands is a reasonable enough sample to kind of exemplify win rate between i these think two? the win rate itself is obviously going to be skewed based on variance but i think you can get a idea of what the big picture might look like Mm -hmm. on a decent sample like twenty five thousand hands is no joke yeah it's a lot of hands especially heads up playing it's the same person you're gonna have a decent sample there but i know for six max graphs and stuff like that normally the way i see a sample is probably in probably like a hundred thousand hands Mm -hmm. you can probably get a good idea about how you stand in the field yeah and of course there's a hundred thousand hand break even stretches and i'm sure Many many an online player have gone through some tough times. I know that I've went on a 100K break-even stretch back when I was playing like 1-2 online about a year ago. Yeah, way. Way back. Way back. Way back. It feels like a long time, man. Man. Where we are from where we are now? Wow. Wow. Forever ago. Wow. The, the micros, if you will. If you will. <laughs> and one might. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I guess like the only thing I would say along those lines is that it's a little bit difficult to measure just because daniel was progressively getting better he was right so like his last five thousand hands the win rate is obviously going to be very different than the first five thousand hands right uh but do we think we can clearly state that like doug is winning around nine to ten blinds maybe he's winning more and i'm sure he might think that he actually ran bad in that sample and mm-hmm. there's people that i've also talked to in some card distribution sense maybe not in all in ev but in some spots where Doug just had a hand where he's supposed to get coolered a little bit more than Daniel, mm-hmm. I'm not too sure just because I haven't watched all of the hands because I've been busy doing my own thing in some cases. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I also haven't seen the whole cards in both. And honestly, like, I think there's a lot more suited people that would know the answer to that than I would. Like, I'm sure if Doug and people he worked with saw all the hands, they could come to a conclusion of how good or bad someone ran like i'm sure yeah i mean obviously if they have all the data it's pretty easy right so from what we've seen it just looked like doug won more than half of the pots um which is probably gonna end up in him winning just Mm -hmm. because when you win more pots it's more likely you're going to end up winning the match so to speak but yeah from what i've seen i'm sure that it goes both ways of they i remember we both saw the clips of both of them thinking that the other player is the luckiest person in the world which is kind of what makes poker great, where it's like, yeah. I think I have the edge. No, I think I have the edge. You're just lucky. No, you're just lucky. And then that's how this kind of stuff started. Yeah, yeah, And um, definitely was a fun watch and really entertaining for three, four months. It was great doing commentary with Joey, someone I really enjoy working with in the first place, let alone he's like kind of the hype guy. And then I have my lulls of, of tiredness just from not really doing commentary until that was my first sort of chance to do so. Yeah, And we sort of just have some pretty nice synergy as it is anyways that ended up working out pretty well at least for like the hype portion of the match and did you enjoy uh just commentary as a whole i did it's just i told joey i was like man this is a lot how do you do it and he's looking at me like with like his pre-workout and like his 
his edibles, if you will. And he's like, what do you mean? I can do this for hours. Yeah. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to go take a nap for 20 minutes. I'll be back. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a grind, man. It was a grind. Uh, you know, when it got pitched to me, I was very against it. I was like, I don't really think we need more channels covering it. Like, right. it's every other day for three months. It's a lot of content to produce. But uh, I'm pretty glad we did it. I think that, like, from my perspective, I took a lot away in the sense that that's not a discipline that I pride myself in. I don't think I'm a good heads up player. I haven't really studied it all that deeply. Mm -hmm. um, but it's fascinating to watch through a strategic eye if you know enough about like game theory heuristics and enough about uh deeper strategy in you know a high level competition i guess to me it was like kind of like watching a baseball game where you have the casual fan who just wants to see action right just right. wants to see the home runs wants to see gap shots somebody and, hit the ball yeah somebody get on base yeah big strikeouts in big moments you right. know the manufactured drama that's just natural with sport right where it's like i'm watching the interaction between pitcher and catcher and like i'm trying to follow the sequence of pitches that he's choosing and like i'm trying to see if the batter is catching on anything that's tipped and like when home runs occur is it because of an error or is it just because a guy beats another guy on right. his best stuff um and that's kind of like what it looked like to me watching two very good players especially one who's improving a ton along the way right kind of duking it out in a format that i'm not necessarily super comfortable uh stating my opinion on right but you know it's still poker right yeah. like the especially like the flop strategies i think in heads up more so than any other format um you probably see a reduction in strategy choices right like i think you see more single sizes and heads up it is extremely like complex max. to try to find certain boards because not all boards are created equal. Right. Where like one might think that ace queen five and ace queen six are similar, mm -hmm. but they, that just might not be the case. Yeah. And then ace jack five rainbow versus two tone and all this kind of well, stuff. Well, it's also just because ranges are so wide, right? Right. Because like if we're playing a six max game and you look at like under the gun versus big blind, yeah. Uh, you could certainly be splitting flop sizes pretty efficiently um, just based on the fact that like, you know, you're the tight range and you're going to have advantage and maybe you're not incentivized to, because like on really advantageous boards, like maybe you just want to go big, but the whole thing I'm trying to get at is like, it's not that difficult to find strategies where you're going big, small, uh, and splitting between those two types of sizes, maybe right. without a check or maybe with a lower check frequency heads up. That's a little bit tricky. Well, and heads up, um, the button's opening range is actually wider than the big blinds calling range in single right. spots. And right, that's right. like the only format where that's the case. Uh, I'm pretty sure like when you open like if you open under the gun the button I mean the big blind has a wider defense Yeah, but if you open button uh, In six max and big blind defense. I'm pretty sure button slightly. It's wider. pretty close. Yeah, but it's pretty close It's it's probably like 42 to like 38 something like that. But right. yeah, I understand what you're saying Yeah, like there's spots which especially in heads up, which is very wide range versus very wide range mm -hmm. so you have to sort of at least as a human try to figure out what strategy works for you right. and how you can navigate later streets without losing that much EV. Mm -hmm. Because of course, if anyone can play like a theoretically sound EV, like theoretically sound strategy, then they would just do that. But it's very difficult to mix frequencies and sizes and right. all of that stuff along the board, as well as not losing your mental sanity in the process. Uh, one last question I want to ask you and kind of get your temperature on before we jump into more current events. Hmm. Um, I can't remember who I had a Twitter exchange with, but we were like kicking around ideas to rejuvenate the the heads up 
uh arena okay because like right now it's a hierarchy where it's like the most studied player is just like dominant and it's difficult to get action without laying a price now i will say heads up is nice because you can treat it a little bit like golf and handicap your opponent right try to give them a fair fight whatever or fair match but uh what do you think would happen if something occurred oh i know what it was pads was saying that uh two high level heads up players should just automate pre-flop and they should just like program in what their ranges are and allow the software to just implement right so like say you're folding uh 20 of hands on the button you just auto pro program in those folds so they just snap fold anytime that you're dealt those hands mm -hmm. and then you just like auto program your you just basically skip the post flop exactly it's just i guess doesn't really seem like poker optically i'm mm -hmm. sure if it was like a, a match where that happened and like there would be a hand where it's like instant raise instant fold hand over move on like instant raise, instant call, go to the flop, instant raise, instant three bet, instant call. Like all that stuff is just going to optically not look appealing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how that works necessarily in terms of like for the viewer, but I'm sure for like the heads up players themselves, it doesn't really change much unless they change their overall ranges, which then would also right. do the same thing. Yeah. I was saying basically like it takes away the availability for mistakes. Um, right. Because sometimes you might end up even the best in the world just deviate sometimes. Right. Right. For reasons unknown. Yeah. And I don't think you should ever like take that away from somebody. Right. But what I offered as a suggestion uh, alternatively is that both players ante and the button double antes. Something to that effect. So that there's three big blinds in the pot. And then you just play a bomb pot from there. Hmm. So essentially both players have 100% range moving forward to post. I think that that's at least a little bit more... Like a heads-up bomb pot challenge? Yeah, so it's a heads-up bomb pot, wow. sort of, but like the the button's handicapped because he's putting in twice as much money. Right. And the big blind's handicapped because he has to play 100% of hands out of position. Right. Um. So I, I think that that kind of makes it... Or maybe like, you know, maybe the button puts in one and a half antes. I'm not sure right. what the math... Of course. Just, uh, but where, make it even where it's to fair. where... Yeah. yeah, but that to me seems like a better monkey wrench because I think like where Pads was coming from is like, well, we can speed up gameplay this way. Uh, and against two equally skilled players, it means nothing to them. It's like, yeah, that's kind of true, but like stacks vary. And whatever you pro, you, you're not going to program in your ranges for 100, 100 blinds, 130 blinds, and 100, 175, or even and 300. A, or even 101 blinds. Right. right. 102, where it's like open, full, like open button, fold, big blind. You're now 101. And now you have different ranges, and that's what's going to input. Like, yeah. Probably. And and you know what? May, maybe ranges aren't that sensitive. Right. But you should at least give the opportunity There's to the player. There's definitely a threshold. To, yeah. You, sh you should give them the opportunity, I think, to this determine their own sensitivity in real time. And honestly, like, there is still human <coughs> error. Like, there's definitely human error in the sense of maybe one of them is looking at the preflop charts, mm -hmm. and they're tanking a little bit longer than they normally do. Right. And then you sort of can pick up on something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's... Yeah, there's edge to be cases. gained everywhere, right? Right. And then so that's an hu a human element of the game that could be sussed out where like maybe, I don't want to get too into it, but like maybe like they take five seconds mm -hmm. every time they play a hand, but this time they take eight. Yeah. So it's probably more likely they have a fringier hand than what they normally do. Right. And obviously you can make assumptions like that, but that's part of the human interaction of the game. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. Yeah, I think the bomb pot idea is kind of cool too. It does sound really interesting. Uh, it's something where like maybe you could start the matches capped at 50 bigs instead of 100. Right. Uh, and now, you know, the game changes. Well, that's a different strategy though. So it just Well, the reason be... I'm saying that is because uh, there won't be any three bet pots, right? So none of the money can ever get in pre because you're just skipping ahead to post. Okay. So I think like creating a more familiar SPR 
where if you start 50 blinds effective, now the SPR is going to be something like 15, which is pretty similar to a single raise pot. I guess the only problem would be like, there is a lot of edge to be gained in bigger, in lower SPR spots, like three by pots and four by pots if someone's playing. Yeah. Okay. Spot. So then start at 25 blinds. Right. So but I mean, the, the, sure. the, basically what you want to do is you want to, you want to set the cap such that uh, three bet pots will still be represented in the format. But once the match continues on and on and on, it's going to play much closer to a single raise pot spot because SBRs are going to be super deep. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting idea for sure to have like a bomb pot tournament, like heads up bomb pot. Well, it's, it's, like a it's more so just a way of like, how would you RTA this? You wouldn't. Right. So the second that that becomes true, then now it becomes a much more difficult format to study. Yeah. Right. It's just like creating bomb pots in real life. Like they're almost unsolvable because they're nine way multi wave pots. Right. Most people just strategically play a check dark out of position and then very small bets because betting bigger in some cases might not make sense. Sure. It's obviously different based on player pool. But in theory, I would assume you don't want to be putting in a lot of money into the pot. Well, no matter what, we're just speculating. Against, right. You're playing against uncapped ranges. Yeah. Effectively. Like you're yeah, playing yeah. against a very wide range, but it's still uncapped if they check. Right. And, and that's the thing is that like, well, will struggle to get beyond speculation. Right. So it seems like a nice variant where, uh, you know, if you're kind of tired of being in what you feel like is a relatively solved environment, this is a nice monkey wrench. I guess it's different than heads up in its inherent nature, so to speak, of having different spots of single raised pots with your certain range, deep pots with your sure. certain range. But yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like an interesting idea. I just don't, like, would I be interested in playing someone in that format? Like, sure, I would, because it would be kind of like you come up with your strategy with and then they come up with theirs and you sort of see what happens over a sample. Well, like, yeah, I mean, for me, that's just how poker has always been. Yeah. And so like the last five years is very foreign by comparison. And like Doug talked a lot about this, how, you know, uh, rising through the ranks of heads up for him, it was about deciphering your opponent, right? So like you didn't actually work on strategy, you just worked on counter strategy. Right, you're like, what's this guy doing? How do I exploit that? Yeah. But now he's very open about saying like, nah, it's all about the theory, bro. Right, it's just who play. works harder at understanding their frequencies and applying right. them. Like where poker becomes more of a solved game versus an unsolvable landscape where you're trying to outguess your opponent. Yeah, I wouldn't use the term solved. I would use the term refined. Um, reason being is that we still don't have that roadmap right. to perfect play. Sure. Uh, we have a glimmer of it. Yeah. We kind of have a concept, you know, like a, a broad meta analysis i guess just the idea of what is appeared to be solved and like the ideas of what theory looks like versus just playing a game of oh like i'm gonna battle this guy i think this guy makes this mistake here and then capitalize on that yeah to where yeah, now yeah. it's in his words like who works the hardest yeah who's making less mistakes on the aggregate than the other person it, it, yeah it's just all about calibration exactly so Let's transition in then to okay. how calibrated you are these days. Transition, transition music inbound. <laughs> how did you come up with the decision to light the Twitter world on fire and challenge my man Perkins to uh, a heads up battle for, as you put it, souls? Yeah, um, I guess that's what the idea of Daniels and Doug's was, was heads up for souls. This is obviously a little bit different just because of I the would say they were heads up for pride. Those two? Yeah. Well, I mean, Joey and I kind of called it heads up for souls. So like just battling at high stakes, mm -hmm. going after each other sort of thing. Like that's kind of what it looked like from the perspective of the audience. Yeah. Like, oh, like these guys had a grudge for a long time and now they're, they're fighting it out. Okay. So it's more, it's more than just heads up for roles. They're playing for souls. Sure. Hence the name. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, so I really enjoyed doing commentary on it. And I was playing heads up a little bit on WSOP at like 2K and 5K. And it's been a lot of fun kind of learning and studying a new format because I've mostly been a six max player. So I thought to myself, oh, like, I want to get in this mix. So we got in the mix. Sure. So <laughs> it was a two-step two mastermind process of wanting to get in the mix and then entering the mix. This reminds me of the underpants gnomes in South Park. It's like, okay, step one, get underpants. Step three, profit. There's just like no no understanding of what step two is here. Right. And I think that this is uh, very applicable to you in this sense because you called out a billionaire. You offered him a nine big blind per hundred spot. He said, okay, at 200, 400, meaning you're giving this guy three quarters of a million dollars. And last I checked, Landon, correct me if I'm wrong, you do not possess three quarters of a million dollars. As far as we all know, yes. Okay, so this is this is likely to be true. So we can't cover the spot, but we are in, baby. We are we are doing this. We're taking it to the house. We are going to fight on these streets. How does one go about getting from stealing underpants to profit? Nah. What is step two here? Yeah. Well, basically, what ended up happening was I kind of sold action for it to people mm. that really thought that I had the winning side of this. Of course, they probably wouldn't put money down if they didn't think it was a winning right, proposition. Of course, of course. So yeah, I just sort of figured I had, I knew people that would want to buy action in this and sort of just reached out to them. I was like, hey, this is happening. Which, which order did the events occur? It was the former and then the latter. Right. It was not the latter. So there the was former. a chance you could have had egg on your face. There was a chance that yes. the, the community would have just thought nine big blinds per hundred, way too big of a spot. We're not investing in this. But ultimately, when the dust settles, you have plenty of people, very talented people, yes. who are willing to put their money where your mouth is yeah, and say, like, yo, I think this kid has a chance. Right. And just for the framework of reference, like, you kind of already mentioned this a little bit, but, like, Heads Up is a pretty new challenge to you. Yeah. Sub 50,000 hands? Sub 50, for sure, yeah. Okay. And, and when you made the bet, maybe sub 25? No. I've probably played about 10,000 hands since then. I like, higher stakes. Okay. But I probably played around 20,000 hands of heads up after okay. WSOP and some battling there. But yeah, not very many hands. Okay. So not very many hands, but we saw the amount of uh, strategy adjustment can be made over 25,000 hands in Daniel's case. Right. And obviously, just being 21 and a student in the game, your trajectory is seemingly higher. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll go out on a limb and say that I personally believe you can get to a higher ceiling in today's game than daniel could and that's not a slight against daniel no he was a, an animal back then yeah it's just you know he's too rich and uh coming from somebody who is and i'm not yet <laughs> right you're not you're you're young and you're hungry and also just like coming from someone who is closer to daniel's age than yours like it's hard to find the time energy and motivation to becoming the cream of the crop elite right. of elite yeah when it comes to the nuances of this game right like i think that even nowadays, for sure, poker is there. That definitely very beatable. Yeah. It's definitely very easy. Not easy is. I mean, it's easy in the sense of if you're structured and you want to work very hard. Mm -hmm. Like I firmly believe that. That's what. Well, easy in the sense to make money. Right. Yes. Like I think that it's easy to be a profitable poker player. Yeah. I think it is extremely difficult to become world class yeah. and not only just study a lot, but like have the intangibles of being able to adjust on the fly and being able to be great and i'll be the first to say that i'm definitely not at that point yet and heads up i'm not even close mm -hmm. i'm working very hard and going to spend 
a lot of time from now until the time he and Bill and I play, studying a lot and learning a lot and trying to be as good as I can and make the game as open to me as I can make it in the sense of playing a strategy that I can be confident in and not lose as much EV on the aggregate. Sure. Kind of like the way that Doug did because Doug basically said that he kind of gave up his entire natural heads up game in order to learn theory. Mm -hmm. And I've learned theory. I just haven't learned a lot of heads up theory and it's a lot different than six max and it's very difficult, but it's one of those things where I know that I'm going to work very, very hard. And I have a lot of people that support me in that way, not only through like saying that they support me, but taking my side of this challenge and effectively like putting money up to do that. And I definitely wasn't in a position to do it, but you know, sometimes a uh, arrogant Twitter kid uh, makes some decision that might not end up being the greatest decision as we all probably have at 21. But now we're here, we're live <laughs> and uh, we're getting after it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said this many, many times in public forums and I still believe it to hold true, maybe a little bit less so today just because the, the landscape's a little tougher. But um, when I was coming up, like, the game was very, very soft. It was a very new market. And if you were the smartest guy in the room, you were going to print money, period. Yeah. And I always had the mantra of, I will play to my skill set, not to my bankroll. Mm -hmm. uh, now, obviously, that's sloppy in the sense that your risk of ruin is through the roof. But your payoff is so great that like you get to have survivorship bias at a greater rate than the person who played it pretty conservatively when the market was ripe for the picking. Right. Um, so I think that on some aspect, this kind of plays here. Especially in the sense that, like, you get to overextend yourself, so to speak, uh, with the support of other people. Like, your your risk of ruin isn't all that high here. No. Um, you know, you'll have skin in the game, of course. Yeah. And you will take your lumps if you lose. But the the fact of the matter is, it's not the same as it was when I shot took. When I right. shot took, I just had case money on the table right. at all times. But I was also in a game where it's like... I don't, if, if you could measure it, I might have been winning like 50 big blinds per hundred. Right. Maybe more, right? Like, who knows? In 2003, like, win rates were just astra-fucking-nomical. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about how this all shook out publicly. Okay. Because um, I think you're getting a nice, firm lesson in mob mentality, which is never a fun one, but one we all have to endure as we become more public in uh, this sphere. Go so on. tell me a little bit about how this or like how the terms of this shook out like what is the actual bet that you guys have agreed on up until this point yep uh you know when when will it be played what's the spot what's the the uh entire just, just give me all of the details around the match that you possibly can okay and then let's talk a little bit uh, uh about like how the public perceives it sure so what we have ironed out now is we're gonna play twenty thousand hands and we're gonna start hopefully in june Kind of depends on some other things. We still have a lot of terms to work out for sure. While we near the deadline, I'm sure we're going to end up doing that. Um, I'm spotting nine bigs per hundred. So at 200, 400, it's 720K for 20,000 hands. And that's basically what we have kind of concrete. And there's going to be no limping and no HUDs. Okay. So that's what we have as of now. Okay. You guys don't like have a set schedule in Not place? Yet. Okay. But there are, there are a lot of provisions that I assume are going to be negotiated. Right. Exactly. So... When it's all, I guess, when the dust settles, so to speak, we'll have terms mm -hmm. and we just kind of have to take some time. I guess I'll talk to the people that are working with me and I'm sure he has people that he's working with as well. And then just kind of on the strategic aspect and then we'll find terms that hopefully work out for both of us and then we'll we'll battle. Sure. 
Um, okay, so along those lines, uh, you know, there's a lot of speculation that like Perkins has never put in this sort of volume at any point in his career. What do you think the probability is of the match actually reaching the 20,000 hands, be it uh, you having enough of a role to get there or Bill having enough patience to actually play it through? I'm an optimist. So I think like probably half the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other half of the time, it might not happen. Okay. And and I assume like you're going to be protected. Like there's not going to be an instance where, right. uh, you know, he's winning small on the on the spot, but he's losing uh, or like he's winning small overall because of the spot but he's losing two heads up and he just gets to walk right and i'm sure that's something that i have to talk about with the people that i want to talk like yeah I'm working with yeah, yeah right now it's we're still in like the very early stages of okay this is actually happening mm -hmm. let's create a strategy on my end and then let's sort of talk about terms with him at some point mm -hmm. and then we'll we'll hopefully be able to make something that works out for both of us yeah i think with the spot being as large as it is um implementing stop losses yeah at least from your end seems reasonable implementing buyouts uh if he wants to quit on his end seem reasonable right uh whether that's just him losing the spotted amount or whatever the case may be um implementing some sort of schedule like i know that there's a lot of us looking to take side action yeah uh you know th there's a good chance that i'll end up having just a piece of the straight action but uh a lot of us are going to want to bet it right but we don't want to we don't want to make a bet that might be six years in the making right of course not um so yeah i, I think that I think it's pretty fascinating. I think that there's a lot to uh, be excited for. Well, let me ask you a little bit. Uh, along those lines, what do you make of the people who are kind of giving you a lot of guff? We saw Jared Jaffe kind of subtweet at you, if you will. By the way, this is the worst kind of fucking... This is the worst kind of call-out culture in, uh, in Twitter. Like, just fucking at me, bro. You know, it's like... So he came out and he said, is anybody capable of playing poker without being an attention-seeking wannabe cool kid anymore? God, it's so embarrassing what a pussy-ass game poker has become and seen. Uh, and it's just like, that is such a curmudgeon -y thing to say. Like, I'm quite naive as well, because I remember um, someone tagged, kind of was like, oh, hey, like this is kind of about you, I think. And I was like, oh, I don't think that's about me at all. Who else do you think he was talking about? You, the, here's the thing, man. You're 21 and you're getting an opportunity that all of us would have fucking killed for at that age. Yeah. At 21, I was playing a five, five, three hundred dollar cap game. Yeah, I understand. You know what I mean? It's like I didn't have access to millions of dollars from the community. The community itself didn't even have millions of dollars because it was 2003. Yeah. And I think that like, whatever. Like, I, I'm I'm poking fun at Jared because he just sounds like a crotchety old man on his rocker, like shaking his fist. But at the same token, it's just like, well, what do we expect of you? This is a pretty hype moment. Like, yeah, yeah, it might be. It, you could even make an argument that it's not a fair uh, opportunity, although I wouldn't make that argument because I think you create your own opportunities in this instance and you built the network that facilitates, right? Yeah. Bill didn't have to speak to you. He could have just been like, who the fuck is this long-haired no-name? Sure. Go away, kid, right? I also could have like not had support in the sense of people taking my side as well. Exactly. kind of... Kind of dumb. Yeah, or he could just said yes, and you would have been like, "Hey guys, I need two. I need two million dollar bankroll. Right. Who's out there? Who wants to back me?" And just the whole community turns the back on you. Of course. The fact of the matter is, neither of those things occurred. He was very happy to engage, and the community itself was very happy to kind of rally and say, "Like we want to be on your. Like we think you're on the right side of this. Yeah. So we're going to invest. So like, I don't get it from the standpoint of of like calling out people who are signaling or whatever. It's like, bro, can't you just be happy in a public space once in a while? 
You know, I, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't understand. I mean, I guess it somewhat stems from, I'm sure there are players and I kind of talked about it in the thread I made kind of regarding effective backlash from some where I'm like, yeah, I'm sure there's people that are my age that are better than me at heads up. And I'm sure there's better poker players than me at my age. I'm, I'm sure that's the case. Mm-hmm. And I'm truly grateful to have the opportunity and not just in the sense of being able to play, but also be able to have people that support me as well. And I'm truly grateful for that. And that's something that I, it's unreal to me to kind of come here from like the last time that I was on the vlogcast where I ended up winning a tournament somehow and then sort of everything sort of fell into place. But it's definitely, I got really lucky in a lot of, in a lot of spots and a lot of senses, but I also worked really hard. Like it's very easy for, I guess, when I just kind of come up into the scene now, for people to just kind of see me as like, oh, like arrogant kid thinks he can get a bunch of money, thinks he can spot nine big blinds. That's that's so much in this spot. And it was like very difficult at times when I was playing micro stakes um, when I first started playing like 18 months ago. And I remember times like when it's, when I dropped out of school, my mom was asking me for rent. And I was like, look, like, just trust me. I promise I'm going to be okay. And it's really hard to overlook the times that like I have put in my hours. Like I've played over two million hands for sure playing small stakes and micro stakes and then kind of got lucky and was someone in the community like I did timestamps for Joey that's kind of how he met me and then I talked with I remember the first time you and I had discourse was when I asked you about Rob's home game on poker after dark when Rick was like doing sleeper straddles and like why are pros not just attacking this and you kind of had basically responded with like the risk of ruin and it's just too high variance to kind of go after in some spots and like just sort of from there, like, I remember I started doing timestamps for you as well. And I just sort of thought, like, I want to provide value to people that provide value to me. And I didn't do it through asking for money. And I didn't do it because I thought it would gain me something. I did it because I genuinely cared about what I was watching. And I thought I wanted to be someone that could help out. Yeah, I, I think that, like, you know, for us, it's like, it's it's such a pleasure because we get, we kind of get, like, all the Bambi moments just caught on film. You know, it's like you're this little fawn who's just like kind of growing up before our eyes, learning how to not just walk, but run. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is like, you know, what you're saying is very relevant. Uh, yes, your your career is a, a flash in the pan at the moment. Right. But it's also like kind of backed by a lot of, of data. It's backed by a lot of uh, hands and things of that nature. And the crazy thing is, is like, bro, you're only 21. You're just now starting. You're literally just getting started and you're already around the corner to the point where people were forgetting the process of how you got here. Right. And granted, it happened very quickly, but everything you're saying is very relevant, right? It's not It's not like, there's a hundred guys like, scratch that. No, sure. There are thousands of yeah. guys who approach it the exact same way you do. I, I get messages all the time. I get people asking to work for free, everything under the sun, right? But you don't necessarily provide value just because you're willing, Right. right? You have to actually intrinsically possess value to offer. And I think that that's like the big separator for you is like you were humble enough to put yourself in front of a lot of people who provide you potential opportunity and you were talented enough where they were incentivized to provide that opportunity. That second part of the equation can't be overlooked. And I think that it often is. And that's why it, it presents itself as like, oh, this entitled kid just gets everything handed to him and he's just going to succeed in spite of himself, right? right? But the fact of the matter is, it's like I could pluck out, you know, if I plucked out one out of 10,000 kids who took the exact same approach to you, it's almost 
improbable that I would ever find somebody who is competent enough to beat two four no limit, let alone two hundred four hundred. Right. Right. So, I I think that like, yeah. I mean, you well, know, I mean, I, for me, like, I'm sorry, kind of cut you no, off good. here, but I remember that Chewy was talking to me, and he was like, "Yeah, I knew you did timestamps, but I just thought you were some fanboy. Like, how could I know that you were good at poker?" Right. When he first sort of kind of got to know me through my stream, and then he and I had a conversation on stream. And he was like, oh, you're not just someone that does timestamps on Twitter. You're actually pretty competent. Yeah. You know, and like that's sort of kind well, of I, I think like the people that, that are really just gone. Yeah, because I think the people who are really grinding hard, like a, a guy like Jeremiah, for example. Yeah. Um, I, I think oftentimes, actually, I don't want to use Jeremiah as an example because it's not fair to him. But I guess like a, a, a lot of young guys who are on the come up that think that they have a shot at rising the ranks and have a high trajectory they have a, a certain sense of entitlement and arrogance built into them that would never allow them to be humble enough to to do timestamps or be a fanboy of anything quote right. unquote right um and i don't think that was you i think that like you know there was just a general love for the game and the community and you wanted to contribute in some sort of capacity and there still is yeah and it just happened to be able to leverage yourself into good powerful relationships that like gave you opportunity yeah i i think that all of that should be a credit not uh, some sort of like teardown. Yeah, but it's it's so easy for someone to not know who I am, and that's kind of the not the problem I had with Jared's tweet, but it was just something where he and I have never had a single conversation. Right. Not one. Yeah. yeah. Not once on Twitter. Yeah. Nothing. So like out of nowhere, it's like sure, like at me, we can talk about it if you want, but it's just something where it's very easy to kind of see where I am now and just say, okay, like this kid is just some kid that like got handed a bunch of stuff. Right. And it's very easy to overlook that I've worked really hard, but it's also on my end to also realize like I, I have been pretty lucky in some cases and that's, I understand that. Yeah. And it's truly an unreal experience to be able to even be in this spot now, let alone ever. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I'll take that one step further because like what you're dealing with is something that like, it's just going to happen as your profile grows. Uh, I, I get it all the time. Obviously you just become naturally more polarizing. Yeah. And I very much came up with the idea of like, I'm going to turn the other cheek and like, I don't want to get into this. Like, like I just want to keep discourse civil in the public arena and stuff like that. But nobody cares, man. They just like continually take shots and they continually project their insecurities and, and things of that nature. And it's like, the fact of the matter is Jared's not working as hard as you period. End of story, right? Like he's grizzled by the game. He's jaded. He doesn't want to put in the amount of work that you are. If we gave him some sort of litmus test, whenever it comes to theory or whatever the case may be, he would score a million points lower than you would with your eyes closed, right? So a lot of this is some sort of projection on this isn't the game that I came up in and my career is now threatened. And I can understand, right? Because it's like, I come from that old guard where it's like, you used to just be in a battle of wits and wagers, right? It was like, can I outmaneuver? Can I outthink this type of person? Whatever the case may be. Now you're up against these cyborgs who have literally... Sim children, if you will. Yeah, ch the, the child of the Sim himself, right? It's like they've literally not only played millions of spots, but they've run like tens of thousands of spots as well. And they're just so fucking refined after such a tiny little frame, right? Right. So it's like... You know, I get it. You, you're literally like a year and a half into your career right. and people have already forgot the trajectory of what got you here. Right. And they're just analyzing you based on the here and now, right? Yeah. Imagine being 19 years in and just having people look at you at present day and saying like, you're not good enough, right? right? Just totally forgetting everything that you had to do to even still be around 19 years later. Definitely. And like that's Twitter verse 
in a nutshell. And I overlook it as well. I'm sure like back, like end of the day, people that were successful at poker, whether it was a softer climate or not, they still had to work in some capacity. They still had to put in time and put yeah. in volume. And like that's stuff that I overlook as well, just because I'm like, oh, you don't study theory. You're, you're awful. Yeah. I do it all the time. And it's because I don't know. Well, the goalpost move, yeah. right? So like your measuring stick today is very different than our measuring stick was in 2010. And it's going to be the same thing in five, 10 years from now, maybe, maybe even three. Yeah. Like maybe something comes out where then there's people that are working hard and there's a different approach that has them have a extremely high win rate and be able to be extremely successful. And it's like, oh, like you suck. Like you just run Sims. You don't do this. Right. And hopefully, well, at least I know for sure in my case, that won't be the case for me because if there's a new technology that's going to help me understand poker better, I'm going to instantly do it. And the people that surround me are going to instantly do the same thing as well. Yeah. So it doesn't matter the, the source of the information when it comes to improving in poker. I'm, I know for sure that I'm going to be the first person along with many others that truly care about the game to end up working on that skill set as well. I would push back on that a little bit because these things don't develop in the open commercial market. Right. Right. There's already software out there that you're not studying. I'm sure. That uh, is advancing the game. At least rapidly. publicly for them, for sure. Like, I yeah. understand what you're saying. Yeah. But the problem with that is, especially as technology advances at a more rapid rate, you're just behind. Yeah. Right? Like, I openly recognize that the fact that I don't go out and uh, exhaust my resources to build out a complete database of all solves puts me behind. Right. Right. But I also recognize that like what I would gain versus what I lose simply just playing in high stakes live cash right. is negligible. Yeah. Um, and I'm still unsure of the ethics of it all. Like we're still such a young community and it's very unclear that poker really has ironed out its uh, working agreement, if you will. Yeah. Right? It's, it's evolved. We don't shoot people in the back anymore when they beat us or draw out on us or anything along those lines. And we see less and less- At of, least not publicly. Right, yeah. And we see less and less of the, the, you know, really trying to fleece somebody through uncouth methods, at least in the live realm. Right. Online's a little bit more of a wild, wild west. Like I think online almost kind of looks a little bit more similar to Doyle's era of live poker, where it's just win at all costs necessary, right? I'm sure that's, that's going on at, at some higher stakes and even some smaller stakes. Like, you can't police everyone. Yeah. And there's just like so many of these new products that are coming out where it's like, okay, we have a complete solved database for X amount of sizes, for Y amount of uh, stack depths and SPRs yeah. and, and things of that nature. And it's like, you know, the more and more this evolves, the uh the the closer and closer the studied players are going to be when it comes to edge right and also the more of these products come out the cheaper and cheaper this technology is going to be right you know you're not going to have to pay thousands of dollars yeah 10 or twenty thousand to have it built right and you're not going to have to pay thousands of dollars a month for subscriptions like you're going to start to get this stuff for like 20 30 bucks a month right yeah it was just a little bit of my own little curmudgeon old man side if you will yeah i mean like you know at the end of the day like Studying theory to me is like very pure uh, for anybody who is familiar with like game theory in its traditional sense or its traditional applications. It really is just like a heuristic for how to think. Right. Right. Uh, whether you're talking about economics or poker or whatever the case may be, like what you're trying to do is apply rationality to uh, to a realm that can sometimes appear to be irrational right. or, it or emotional. Applies, it applies everywhere as well. Like it's not just game theory for poker or for 
anything else could be for sports for life right like a life theory sort of okay like what should i how much time should i spend exercising slash eating the right things like there's all that sort of optimizing your life yeah so to speak like it's everywhere yeah but like controlling for variables becomes very challenging right i I guess the point that i'm getting at is the macro aspect of the the study theory is yeah yeah is fascinating to me and i agree with you i think it is something that can like help you live uh, a more fulfilled life um and also gives you a very healthy relationship with measuring things in ev right i think the nuanced drilled down micro version of it can tend to get a little bit uh, you you lose sight of the forest for the trees you know like when you become so insanely focused on ev that you start bickering between uh you know one one hundredth of a big blind decision right uh and, and like this is how you spend the majority of your time right you just turn into that human being yeah right like you don't give anything up you're out to dinner with a group of friends you're not giving anything up in that environment right it's like either this is a zero-sum transaction where we all split this completely evenly or we all flip in some sort of fair way or uh want to pay for a meal yeah or like i'm out Right? right, because like people who are that drilled in to the 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 nuances of how EV works are never going to sit there and say like, oh, well, Bob doesn't have as much money as me. Right. So everyone pays proportion to their net worth. Yeah. So like I'm going to kick in a little bit extra to this, or I'm going to cover the tip despite the fact that you know we went Dutch and, and chopped it up evenly, or whatever the case may be. Right. Uh, or I'm going to pay for my exact meal. You know, whatever. There, there's a million examples that you can give. Right. Um, the point still stands. Yeah. I, I guess it like you know the evolution of technology just allows us to get so much more micro that we stop. We, we lose sight of the fact that the whole purpose of game theory in and of a whole is for human beings to make more rational decisions. Right. So now uh, I just kind of want to know a little bit of like, what's in this for you? You know, obviously it's a huge opportunity. You have the stage. The mic is yours, right? Uh, and it's going to be for some period of time. Like the spotlight is just going to shine. It's not a monetary play for you. Right. Right. You have skin in the game. You have the chance to make some money, but you're playing relative to the stake level you would play otherwise. Right. Right. Like this is effectively 2040. Yeah. Give or take. Right. Something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess before you even answer that, tell me a little bit like what you think about the people who are detracting against you for not having a massive chunk of yourself. Sure. I mean, everyone sort of sees poker as one of these things where you put your money on the table and if you go broke you go broke and that's like the noble fight right i'm sure that's how it worked in the old guard and even now like there's a bunch of people that play higher stakes games that sell pieces of themselves and it's not as as open because i guess the dream of high stakes poker of having all of yourself and being i guess in their sense of the word professionalism is what that is Mm -hmm. but then there's also some very rare spots kind of like this one where maybe like obviously if i don't have the role to play i can't play so i have to dilute equity in order to have a certain percentage of myself to responsibly not go broke if the worst case scenario happens right and it just it doesn't just happen in something like this it also happens in mtts for sure and just in a very higher variance game yeah where it's very easy to dust a bunch of bullets in mtts it's very easy to go on downswings in mtts so Poker players, in some cases, some obviously have all of themselves, and that's fine. But I don't think it detracts from the overall 
professionalism of the game. Like the way right. I see professionalism is taking risks that make sense for your overall bankroll to where you don't necessarily are out of action for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like you're operating a business, right? Yeah. So the idea of diluting equity is is not foreign. Right. If you're running a startup and you need more capital, you bring in an investor. Right. Period. Right. Imagine equating it to a sport. Imagine if instead of getting paid to play football, the the best football players in the world, the elite athletes actually had to pay to be on the team. Right. Right. They had to finance the team in order for the team to function. Like you just wouldn't, you wouldn't have the cream of the crop talent because there would be some people who were the fucking best in the world that didn't have money. Right. Right. And now money becomes a facilitator to the barrier of entry. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And I also understand the gripe of others where like, I did say a tweet like, oh, like I'm playing for millions of dollars. Like that's unreal. Mm -hmm. And the fact is it's not for me in the sense of I'm not particularly risking millions of dollars in my own right. I'm playing for tens of thousands. But for me, I'm in the spot where others decided that I was worth putting a seven figures down on. Well, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your investors. Right. Period. And exactly. people who don't understand the responsibility that comes with that are people who will never be in a situation to have a big opportunity. And it's one of those things where I'm sure there's people that have said, give me the chance to play Bill and give me $2 million. It's like, okay, sure. If you were worth doing that, if you went out on a limb in some cases and offered to have a nine big blind spot and had people that would be behind you and had a presence in the community from doing timestamps and being friends with Joey and finding a way to sort of provide value, then like maybe that is true. I'm definitely extremely lucky to be in the situation I'm in now. And I definitely just want to make the most of it and be able to succeed in this environment and have the spotlight, so to speak, and have the ability to even be in this position because it's extremely easy for people to have a, that have a decent amount of money to be like, nah, like it's not worth it for sure. Right. No chance. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then I'm the one that sits there and says, okay, like, I guess I would like to play you, but I don't have money, so I can't. Right. And it's okay that I think, in, at least in my opinion, I'm sure that other people that are playing poker at higher stakes understand selling action and swapping and MTTs late and all that sort of stuff is it's a very real thing in order to reduce variance because in some cases, like most people might be backed to play in tournaments, like mm -hmm. especially for like super high rollers, so to speak. For like many hundreds of thousands of dollars, I'm sure that that's a big ask to, let's say someone has a million dollars and there's a 300K tournament. I'm pretty sure like even the best player in the world wouldn't have all of himself in that. Right. At least in, at least would understand the effective irresponsibility understanding variance and sure. understanding that you could get dusted. Sure, and 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 you know to to further that point, I guess this is also you're you're catering to your customer. Right. right. Bill wants to play two hundred four hundred. He wants money that matters to him. He's a billionaire. Right. If we were playing twenty forty, I don't want to speak for you, but like you know, you could tell me like what kind of peace would you have for yourself? I'd have all of it. Right. I would have all of it in a heartbeat. Right. But it's just one of those things where okay, I have this opportunity to play at a stake that makes sense to me mm -hmm. that. I care about that I would like to play at and I would also meet his to where he's also in a spot where not only is he playing me he's also getting spotted a certain amount to where it makes sense for him to battle so to speak because he might not want to play someone in a couple months that would kill for this opportunity to play him at face yeah you know yeah, yeah. so it's one of those things where I'm compensating in my end on offering a spot and playing stakes that would make sense to me where if he told me like, yeah, we'll play 20, 40 heads up and you spot me nine big blinds, I'd say, okay, 
Yeah. No problem. Yeah. But this is obviously one of those things where the incentives aren't aligned. Right, right. And for him, like the spotlight's also on him as well because he also gets to have a nine big blind spot and play high stakes versus someone that's considered to be an up and coming professional in the game. And it's not it's not unheard of in this community. You know, right. I thought Pads had a really good tweet whenever he said that uh, you know, when Ivy Negranu and, and the corporation went after Andy Bill, they were revered as poker heroes. Right. Split and, chopping up a, a billionaire. And know? I guess for them, I understand it because they've been in poker for a while and they had, I guess, a legacy. And for me, my legacy has just begun, so to speak. It's like, yeah. why, does, why does this kid get a chance over others? But we've seen it elsewhere. We saw Rayner when he won the Super High Roller Bowl in 2016. Rumors were floating around that he had somewhere between 3 and 10% of himself. You know, right. And that's not some he, he played the Colossus the next day. Right. Right. Like it's his job. He's just doing his job. Exactly. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Sure. It sucks to only make a half a million on the biggest score of your life when you win five five million dollars. Right. But like, what are you going to do? And at the end of the day, if you're not ruled for it responsibly, you don't get to play in the first place. You would effectively be out of action. Right. So for me, this is one of those spots where it's like, OK, I think I can sell action at this price. I ended up doing that extremely quickly mm. and extremely grateful for it and i also have a percentage of myself that makes sense for me and gives incentive for me to try as hard as i can as i would regardless yep. as well as be able to put on a show on like the on like the grand stage so to speak and yeah. play 200 400 and just have an experience that i know i'm going to look back and be like wow like i can't believe this actually happened when i was 21 right so tell me a little bit then uh, what you hope to gain out of this, uh, I guess, big picture. You know, I, again, it's it's not necessarily money play. This isn't going to be the biggest monetary opportunity of your life. No, of course not. Um, but it is the biggest stage that you'll probably be on in the near term. Right. So what do you hope to, uh, how do you hope to leverage that, I guess? I mean, I want to be someone in poker that be, has some influence for sure. And I also want to challenge myself. And this is definitely a challenge. It's a challenge where I think I have an edge and where I think that I need to perform. And that's something that I, I want I want to do is I want to challenge myself. And this is exactly that. It also sort of leverages itself in the way of having the spotlight on me for sure. And then I'm um, that sort of personal brand type of stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like I want to do things in poker that are pretty legendary. And this in itself, just like the challenge of being able to not only like play for stakes that matter to me at this moment, but also be in a spot where like seven figures are being exchanged potentially. That's a pretty rare moment, at least in nowadays, like heads up for, for roles, like wasn't really a thing until Daniel and Doug did it. Right. And then this is one of those opportunities where obviously Bill and I have no beef or anything like that, but it's one of those things that's like, okay, like I want to play heads up for like, I want to play heads up. Yeah. For stakes that matter to you. Like I would like to play you heads up and sort of experience that. And I think I'm winning in this spot. And I think that that's sort of what's happening here is I just wanted to play heads up and I got the opportunity to do that. And now it's happening. And it's for relatively high stakes, but it's not necessarily about me versus Bill. And it's kind of for me about me versus myself and getting better at a format I want to get better at. Because I'm going to be spending a lot of my time, a lot of it, working on heads up, no limit, working on strategy with some of the best, best players in the game and doing all that sort of stuff to where that's what I want is I want to challenge myself. And then who knows, maybe there's stuff that happens in the future because of it. Like maybe I get action somewhere else. Yeah. Maybe I get action playing 
this like relative stakes to where I get to battle to something that makes sense to me and also incentive for someone else to play. Who knows? Is it's this, not really about that. Is this something that you plan to create content out of? Like, is this where we see you launch a vlog? Is this where we see you do uh, some sort of, I don't know, follow behind on how you train or some sort of content thereafter once the match is complete? Like, I don't think for this one, probably not just because it's such a big opportunity. It's like the first one. But who knows, maybe when another one comes around, if it does, maybe that's a good time to do it. Because I know right now, like, the only thing that I'm really worried about is doing as best as I can through studying and through playing others and trying to prepare myself for what is obviously going to be the biggest spot of my life publicly. Something that I like, I want to put on a, a performance that I know I can be proud of. Mm -hmm. And I know that people that invest in me can be proud of. Are there any plans for this match to be streamed? I think if he wants to stream, um, some some sessions with whole cards, I would be more than happy to match what he does. Mm -hmm. I think that's extremely fair. And uh, yeah, if like if he says, okay, like let's both stream the session. Do you worry about that added nuance being like too revealing, too difficult in the moment to juggle? I think that if it's for the performance section, I think it's good just because I think that the people that I'm working with would be able to, I guess, see some things. And then the people that he's working with also would be able to get some insight into my strategy. That could be extremely interesting for people to watch because I'm sure if Daniel and Doug had whole cards, it would be entertaining watch, kind of seeing what's happening in real time, hand versus hand. Like, how is he going to get out of this one, so to speak? Like, how is Yeah, but, you know, and... there was so much at risk. I don't think that they owed that to the audience. And the same, I think, holds true for you with such a I big agree. spot. I agree. But I'm saying if, if Bill wanted to stream, like if Bill wanted to, Show whole cards. Um, I've talked with my team about this already. They would be they would be open to it. Yeah. And I would only do it if they were open to it. Sure. Sure. Of course. It's more than just me at this point. Yeah, I, I definitely think that, like, from your perspective, almost everything needs to be made in a in a team format type of decision. Yeah, for sure. You know, in essence, you are kind of like working for your company at this point. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I guess last question I have uh, regarding heads up is. How is the process treating you so far? Like where, where you, I don't want to say where are you at emotionally? Cause I don't think that's, I think that's kind of a loaded question, but I guess like where are you at mentally as far as like the hurdles you have up ahead, anything you've experienced thus far? It's tough. You know, it's tough trying to play a new game and become world-class, especially when I'm talking with people that are truly great. And there's things that I think strategically that I thought made sense, which are being shown otherwise. Mm -hmm. And it's really tough to be in a spot where the people that you work with are such perfectionists to where it's not about the praise in some sense. Like if I play a hand well, it's not about, oh, like you did great, you know? It's more about targeting leaks where it's like, okay, this is, I think, the wrong thing strategically. This is the wrong bet size to choose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is the wrong hand to take this action with. And it's really hard to continually get negative feedback in that way. And But it's something that I'm also truly grateful for because at the end of the day, they're not doing it to to like make me feel bad. They're doing it in the sense of, okay, we see this as a positive investment and we're here to help you. And sometimes like it's difficult. It just is to be able to like continually take constructive criticism, yep. especially being as young as I am and still having some egoic sense of thinking that I know what's going on. Yeah. I think personally knowing you pretty well, I think that there's some hurdles to overcome. I think that for a large portion of let's call it your short adulthood yeah uh 
you validate yourself through poker, your poker prowess and your position in the community. And you should, you should have a lot of pride in like what you've accomplished and how far you've come in such a short period of time. But I think like when you seek that validation in both a community and in a game that is just heavily rooted in negative feedback loops, yeah, uh, it becomes a really big mind fuck. Yeah. Because for you to get better, you have to get beaten down pretty yeah. hard. No, I had and, a really rough day yesterday for sure. Yeah. And then on top of that, for you to put yourself out in the public eye like this and grow your profile, which it's going to. I saw you crack the 10,000 mark on Twitter recently, and I think it'll crack 20 before this challenge is over. But with that platform comes a 10x polarization, if you will, yeah. where suddenly where it seemed like nobody had a bad thing to say about Landon Tice, now half the people who mention your name are doing so in some sort of negative way. Yeah. And that snowballs, right? Like mob mentality is a thing. Yeah. It's sure. very easy for people to be critical from the outside looking in. Yeah. Uh, so I guess like... I think that there is an opportunity here. Number one, so you don't burn out. But number two, so you start to build those concrete foundations in intrinsically rather than uh, externally. Yeah. Uh, for you to start adding layers to, you know, just your everyday routines, right? Like if ever there was an opportunity for you to become more active, be it in sport or social settings or uh, fitness or nutrition or whatever the case may be, like now is the time to build that branch, I think, because it's very important to complement all the hard work that you're doing in this little sphere that we built ourselves, this little echo chamber of sorts. It's really critical to complement that with something that's going to have a, a high return of positive feedback. Yeah. And just interactions with people that you care about or, um, you know, the, the, the very, um, let's almost call it like beginner gains that you'll have in fitness, nutrition, picking up a new sport, like, you know, you're very quick to learn pickleball, stuff like that. Sure. Uh, that type of stuff, it really does smooth things over. Like for the entire duration of my career, when shit went sideways in poker, I always had this other thing to fall back on that I knew was always going to make me feel good in the moment. Right. And I think that that, like if I have one piece of advice, I think like that's the most critical thing that you can you can work on because you basically have like a four or five month challenge ahead of you. Yeah. Maybe longer. Maybe. Right? We don't know how long Perkins is going to drag this out for. It's true. All right. Last thing I want to talk about. You have another huge opportunity coming up this week. Uh, you have very special Valentine's this year. It's first, not I know. First televised poker experience. You're going to be playing Poker After Dark. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this is bad form to leak it since we're still three or four days away or whatever the case may be, but we don't have to talk about the lineup. Let's just talk about the fact that you have the opportunity to play. You are going to be getting in there. It's going to be a six-handed poker after dark format, 100-200, I believe. Yeah. Uh, biggest live cash game you've played. Yeah. Right? Yeah. First time you've played on TV. First time on TV, for you sure. You know, outside of Poker Out Loud. Yeah. Shout out to uh, to our new product coming. If you guys want to catch Landon Tice battling in those 510 streets, he will be on season five of Poker Out Loud on our uh, Software Y TV starting March 1st. He will also be in the Vlogger Edition starting on this YouTube channel, so you can check them out there. Tell me a little bit about uh, the 100, 200 Poker Out Loud. Like, where, what are you feeling regarding this? How do you view, or sorry, Poker After Dark? Yeah. Uh, how do you view the Poker After Dark experience as a whole? Like, did you grow up watching it? Uh, you know, like, what does this mean to you? Yeah. So, I've definitely watched a lot of high stakes poker and Poker After Dark um, when I first knew about poker and first got into it. In the sense of when I was in college and grinding a lot of micro stakes, I would definitely watch some high stakes poker and Poker After Dark. 
So it's an honor in a lot of ways. And I'm really fortunate to have the opportunity to do that. And I'm going to just try to make the most of it and have as much fun as I can and hopefully play pretty well. Are there any nerves behind the idea that you have to play this live format that you don't have a ton of reps in with and you have to play super fucking slow? You know, you're going to sign up for a six hour session where you might only get in like 150 hands. Yeah. Uh, it's the big stage. There are going to be form threads about it and your results are going to be all that fucking matters to a public opinion. But the sample is like literally nothing. You know, is any of that, I guess, like weighing on you and the fact that, you know, this is going to make national television at some point? I think it used to um, definitely did recently. But at the end of the day, I just have to worry about the people who I care about the most and who care about me. And I know that I don't have to prove anything to them. Yeah, I think it's really good. I don't have to prove how good I am. And I don't definitely not in a format like this where at the end of the day, like while it is like high stakes, it's also television, too. So it also has to be entertaining and fun to watch. And I want to be someone that's fun to watch, entertaining, maybe play a few pots pretty well. Just try to do my best in that way, because I know at the end of the day, the results of the sample aren't going to matter to the people who care. Do you give much uh, thought or, I guess, uh, preparation to the the table side manner, the interaction, the uh, the way that you're perceived? I'm naturally quite out there when I play. I just try to have fun, mm-hmm. try to enjoy myself. And I'm playing with some pe- some friends of mine. So it's going to be some like pretty easy to kind of have some discourse as well. And it's pretty easy for me to meet new people in the poker sphere. Will we be shopping for a new outfit tomorrow before you play? We probably should. I think we should. Uh, this Jordan jacket's not going to fucking cut it, man. I like this jacket. I know. I know. But like, you know, it's the big stage. Maybe Big jacket. Maybe, <laughs> maybe get your hair in a little braid. Wow. Wow. Go all out. Get you uh what the fuck was that hoodie that, that Rick Solomon had on? The Gucci sexiness. Yeah, the Gucci sexiness hoodie. I, if I could wear that, by please, by all means. I don't. You, you're gonna have to beat Perkins before you can wear that hoodie, man. It'd be a nice present. It's an expensive hoodie for sure. It's true. <laughs> all right, it's been a pleasure as always. I appreciate you coming on here and kind of being a little bit vulnerable about everything that's been going on. Uh, that's gonna be a wrap for us. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, give us a little love, leave a comment below on the video. Let us know what you thought of the young prince, child of the sim, Landon Tice, out there with dick waving, throwing down the gauntlet to Mr. Perkins. Um, Also, if you aren't aware, we're putting out highlights now every Sunday, so you can go back and check out the ones we did of the Polk Negrano Challenge. We'll be coming out with vlogcast highlights every Sunday as well. Thank you guys, as always, for the support, for tuning in. My apologies for the four-week hiatus. We had to get a little bit caught up. But we're back now, and you can expect Young Chin back in his chair next week. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you guys all next time.